Beloved congregation of our Lord Jesus Christ, if somebody invites you for dinner to a restaurant, it should be a good thing. Remember when we could do that? More than a year ago. And hopefully we'll be able to do it again. Invite one another out to a restaurant and sit together. But if somebody invites you out for dinner and all the restrictions are gone and you can actually go to the restaurant, what if it's somebody that you owe a lot of money to and you haven't been paying for years? Then suddenly it's not such an attractive proposition, is it? It's a little awkward. It's a little embarrassing. You don't want to be close to that person that you're owing. It's not just awkward, it's painfully awkward. Well, let's ramp this up a bit. Imagine a king who gives you massive wealth. He gives you his own royal seal. He gives you carte blanche to, to use all the resources of his kingdom to build it up, to construct a glorious palace. And off he goes and expects you to fulfill your tasks and your duties when he comes back, what does he see? He sees the opposite. He sees you're in debt up to your eyeballs. You've spent all of his wealth on, on alcohol and drugs and partying on failed investment schemes. And you've wasted resources and you've racked up an unpayable amount of debt. You owe everything. And if that's such a great king came to you in that state and said, let's have dinner, how would you feel? You would expect that you're going to be charged with fraud and embezzlement and high treason and that you're going to be condemned to be locked away forever because you have no way of repaying the damage you've done. And what you certainly would not expect is for this king to say to you, you know what, it's all good. You owe nothing. My own son has paid off every cent of your debt. It's all dealt with. We don't need to talk about it anymore. It's all gone. You owe nothing. That would be surprising, and that would be wonderful. But wait, there's more. Because what if he said to you, furthermore, my son has taken you on as a partner, and my son's company built the palace that you were supposed to build, and you are now part of the family business, and our gain is your gain, and great job. The palace is built. The payment is on your account. You are now more incredibly rich than before you were incredibly bankrupt. Well, having the debts paid and forgiven is one thing, but to be given the total opposite, to be made incredibly wealthy by just sheer grace is even more amazing. Well, that's a pale, that's a weak, that's a feeble illustration for what God gives to us in the gospel. The gospel of the forgiveness of sins. That's what we confess as the church Catholic. I believe the forgiveness of sins. And that gospel comes to us bankrupt in our sin. And the gospel comes to you, sinner, to me, sinner. And the gospel says to us, your Bills are paid. 
They're all paid. And you know, we've made such a mess of things. We are so in debt that we don't even remember all the people we owe. And from time to time, these, these bills still come in the mail with, with, with debts that we have forgotten existed. And they come with their inordinate amounts of, of interest that we can't afford. We can't even afford the interest. And every time one of those bills shows up in our mailbox, our Lord Jesus says, it's okay. It's all good. That one's paid too. And that one, it's paid. And that one is paid. Yes, I paid that one too. That's kind of what ongoing sin is in the life of the Christian. We're forgiven our debt, but, but we've still, we still got the sinful nature. We've still got the, the rhythms and the habits of people addicted to credit. And so we still mess up day by day, week by week, and, and these new bills come, and the Lord Jesus says, it's dealt with. And sometimes we're embarrassed. We're embarrassed to come to him with yet another bill. Lord, there's this one too. Oh, and there's also this one that I forgot about. It's embarrassing. It's shameful. But he's always ready. He's always happy to see us. And he's always happy to tell us, my child, it is gone. You don't know anything. Now, we read a little bit of Romans chapter 7. And in Romans chapter 7, Paul speaks about that, that, that struggle of the Christian. He's speaking as a Christian, as a, a justified believer, as a regenerate man. He's speaking about the way that the old sinful habits are so hard to kick. He says, I know I'm forgiven, but, but sin keeps trying to drag me down and sin keeps making itself known and sin keeps wanting me to walk in those old ways and those old habits. And he comes at the end of Romans 7 to this cry, this cry from the heart. He says, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? I, I want to be done with all of this stuff. And then he points to the answer. Thanks be to God through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself serve the law of God with my mind, but with my flesh I serve the law of sin. So there's this struggle, there's this tension. But look at the result there in, in chapter 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation. Why? Because when Jesus was on the cross and when he paid the bill to the last, with the last drop of blood, he cried out in a loud voice, Tetelestai, it is done, it is finished. He cried it out as a victory cry because he made satisfaction. And what does it look like? Well, the prophet spoke about that already in the Old Testament, looking forward to the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. And one example is Micah chapter 7. In Micah chapter 7, verse 18, describes this satisfaction that God gives us in Christ. Micah 7, 18, Who is a God like you, pardoning iniquity and passing over transgression for the remnant of his inheritance? He does not retain his anger forever because he delights in steadfast love. He will again have compassion on us. He will tread our iniquities underfoot. You will cast all our sins into the depth of the sea. 
You will show faithfulness to Jacob and steadfast love to Abraham as you have sworn to our fathers from the days of old. We read it also in Psalm 103, which is quoted in the Lord's Supper form, right? That as far as the east is from the west, God separates our sin from us and us from our sin. He he tramples it underfoot. He throws it into the depths of the sea. Now, nowadays, that doesn't mean quite as much to us as it did to the people in the ancient world because nowadays we have these submarines and and remote-controlled submarines that can go deep, deep, deep down to the sea. But in the ancient world, you could only dive so deep, and beyond that, it was impossible to retrieve anything. The human body can only take a certain depth. And so when something was thrown into the depths of the sea, it was gone. Nobody could bring it back. And that's what God means. What God is telling us over and over is this. Your sin is gone. Your sin is dealt with. Your sin is forgiven. Your sin is thrown away. You owe nothing. God tells us that every day as we read the scriptures. God confirms that every week as we hear the word preached and we see the word made visible in the sacraments. This is the gospel. You Oh, nothing. Nothing. But wait, there's more. Not only do you owe nothing because Christ has made satisfaction, but on top of that, you are given everything. That's the glory, the double glory of the work of Christ. The sins and the, and, the, and, the, and the guilt is all gone. It's all paid for. It's all resolved. It doesn't exist anymore. It's wiped out. But on top of that, the Lord Jesus, uh, his righteousness belongs to us. What do we confess in the, in the catechism? That he will graciously grant me the righteousness of Christ that I may never come into condemnation. Uh, what does the scripture say? Look at John chapter 3, verse 17. John 3, 17. Where the scripture says this. For God did not send his, world, his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Jesus came not to condemn but to save. That is what the gospel says. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. The glory of the gospel, brothers and sisters, is for believers. That's why it's in the creed, the confession of our faith. It is this glory, this this blessing is something that belongs to us through faith. It's appropriated through faith, through believing. And then look at John chapter 5, verse 24. John chapter 5, verse 24, where the scripture says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. He does not come into judgment. Why not? Because there's nothing to judge. If, you have, if you're not owing anything to the authorities, if you don't owe anything to the police, to the courts, then you are not brought up before the judge because there's nothing to judge. 
And the gospel says to poor, wretched sinners like us, who by nature deserve condemnation, the gospel says it's all dealt with, it's all paid for, and Christ's righteousness is your righteousness, and there is nothing to judge. There's nothing to condemn. When God looks at you, what does he see? Maybe the question is wrong. When God looks at you, who does he see is the better question. He sees Christ. He sees the perfect innocence and righteousness of Christ because you have died and your life is hidden with Christ, with, with, with God in Christ so that it is no longer you who live, but Christ who lives in you. And when the Lord looks at you, he sees the perfect innocence and righteousness of Jesus himself. There is nothing to judge. There's no judgment to fear. None whatsoever. The devil doesn't like that. The devil loves to remind us of our sins. The devil likes to rub our sins in our face. The devil likes to tell us, you're not worth it. You're not worthy. You're not a good Christian. I know what you've done wrong. I know how bad you are. And we have to say, devil, go away. I don't want to hear what you've got to say. I want to hear what God says. And God says this, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. There is no judgment because there's nothing to judge. There is no condemnation because there's nothing to condemn. Why not? Because we have the righteousness of God. God made him who knew no sin to be sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The most glorious exchange in the universe, brothers and sisters, that all our sin, all our guilt, all our misery, all our debt taken off us, piled on Jesus and nailed to the cross and erased. And then the other half, is more glorious yet. All the righteousness, innocence, and glory and obedience of the Lord Jesus Christ is piled onto our account so that our bank book, well, they don't use bank books anymore, but the screen, the screen, when we look at our, our, our bank account, it doesn't have enough room for all the zeros. That's how rich we are in Christ. There's no guilt. There's no sin. There's no debt. There's no shame, there's no accusation, and there's no condemnation. There is nothing whatsoever that can separate us from the love of God. And that's why when he invites us to come eat with him, we're not scared, we're not afraid, we're not embarrassed, we're not ashamed. But we rejoice because this table is the table of the feast of the righteousness that we have in Christ. Let's come, let's eat and drink and feast and worship and glory in the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.